0: This is Omo. 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 This is Omo.
1: This is Omo. 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 This is Omo.
2: Hello, Omo Sapiens, everyone out there. Welcome to Omo. The Romance and Reality of Violin Making, you are listening to the final episode of season five. We did it, guys. Merry Christmas out there. Uh, I've got with me this morning, or is it afternoon, wherever you're listening, Jerry Lynn. Hello. Hey, Rosie. And we have a special guest today, which I will introduce very soon, and I'm very excited to have this person on. But Jerry, hi, how are you?
0: You know, uh, by the time you listen to this, the, the VSA conventions already happened and we're, we're headlong into the holiday season. Uh, I'm taking this time to take a little bit of a break to, you know, maybe catch up on some things in my shop that I've been neglecting for maybe years. <laughs> so it feels good. I'm doing okay with that. How about yourself?
2: Uh, I have been a little sick this week. <laughs> and uh, you know what? December has hit hard. I didn't even make time to go to the VSA because there there's all kinds of holiday stuff. There's fun personal life stuff mm-hmm. happening that I will get into in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, my, my days are pretty full, but, um, I'm re- I'm ready to, uh, I'm ready to hit another year. I'm ready for big changes at my shop. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow very much. So yes. Awesome. Um, and so without uh, further ado, I'm gonna say we have got Omo Sapien and Omo team member Catherine Kidwell. Hello, Catherine.
3: Hello, Rosie. How are you doing?
2: I'm living. I'm living. And I I wanna say something uh about you to you and about you. Uh a lot of times we ask younger persons, I mean you're, you're in your late 20s, so young-ish. We a lot of times ask younger persons to be on the show, and the response we get is, I don't know what I would have to share. I don't know what I could say. And my experience is that we all have something to share that's significant and that can benefit others, and you are an example of that. Thank you.
0: Catherine, a little bit about Catherine. Sorry yeah. to cut you off, Catherine. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> Anyhow, a little bit about Catherine. She started working in a shop, training in a shop in 2015. Uh, She got a a Women in Luthery Fellowship in 2021, and she mentored under Stacey Stiles and Paris Andrews. So, Catherine, not sure where to go from here, but...
2: (laughs) You know what? We need to go to a commercial break, and then we'll be right back with Catherine Kidwell. All right. A special thanks to House of Note, a luthier-owned violin shop in the twin cities of Minnesota for their support of this episode of OMO. While covering the many demands that we deal with in this industry, from restoration to repairs for players at all levels, House of Note wants you makers to know they sell quite a few modern maker instruments and bows. If you've just done your final setup for your violin and you're looking to hang it in a shop that understands new instruments, look no further then House of Note. Check them out today at houseofnote.com.
1: Between Chicago and the West Coast, you won't find a violin shop with a more finely curated selection of instruments and bows than Claire Givens Violins in Minneapolis. The Givens team is made up of knowledgeable players who take pride in helping their customers find the right instrument or bow. Their international reputation is founded upon a commitment to maintaining high levels of expertise, craftsmanship, and relationships with customers spanning across generations. Every instrument and bow offered at Claire Givens Violins is set up in their very own workshop by an experienced team of restorers and makers under the longtime expert leadership of Douglas Lay. Need a checkup or a more extensive restoration? The workshop is known for its attention to sound and response. And players come from all over for this unmatched level of precision and care. If you're an early music player, check out Dipper Restorations, where world-renowned restorer and scholar Andrew Dipper specializes in the restoration of historical musical instruments and the making of historic replica bows. Need a checkup? Looking for an upgrade? Check out GivenViolins.com. They look forward to seeing you.
2: Almost Sapiens. I have with me here today, Jackson Maberry, maker of J.G. McIntosh Rosinate Oil Varnish. Jackson, can you give us some insight into the kinds of brushes you're using when varnishing?
4: Uh, Rosie, that's, uh, that's one of those questions, you know? Um, I'm personally not very dogmatic about this or anything really. Um, I have liked uh, gold Taclon brushes quite a bit. They're a synthetic bristle, uh, pretty fine, pretty soft, and also inexpensive, which is nice. Um, And you can get them in all sorts of sizes at almost any art store. So those can be a really good first port of call. But I tend to apply a varnish thinned out quite a bit. So soft bristle brushes is is good for that. Using thicker brushes, stiffer brushes uh, might be preferred if you like the varnish unthinned, more of like a room temp honey consistency like it is out of the bottle these days though my preferred application method is actually to pad the varnish on with uh, makeup sponges really yeah so you know they're inexpensive you can find them almost anywhere and there's just something about that firm foam um, that lets you pad the varnish on really thinly and really evenly quite quickly so my goal, though, ultimately has been to make varnish that people can kind of apply any way they like. You know, you just experiment with it until you find what works for you, get the texture that you're looking for and that kind of thing. So it's my hope that people will agree that it's pretty versatile in that respect.
2: Get your J.G. McIntosh rosinant oil varnish and other varnishing supplies today by visiting woodfinishingenterprises.com. Search McIntosh. Welcome back, everybody. Again, I've got Jerry Lynn and Catherine Kidwell here with me. Catherine, so even as a resident young person, luthier, you still have an origin story. And I would love for you to share yours with us today.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me on. So I do want to start this with a disclaimer. Uh, This conversation will involve places and people whose names will not be included. Uh, My goal is not to cause any harm to business, career, or reputation, but to hopefully help someone else who may be or end up in the situation I did. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a unique situation. Um, Mental health topics will also come up in this talk, in case anyone is sensitive to that. And for friends and colleagues who know me personally and know or have inklings to the names and places of these people, kindly. Keep that to yourself.
0: Amen. Okay.
3: Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so I was, I started in a shop in 2015. I was going to college at the time, uh, college full-time, working part-time, and I started working there. It was a small shop. There wasn't a luthier at the time, and I learned some repairs from Uh, one of the owners, and uh, they were turning out well, and I like doing it. I have a background growing up really enjoying art and sculpture and uh, having played viola in the school system, and so experience with some instruments and with handwork, and so I think I picked up on it pretty well. A Luthier was hired and a little while later was approached and asked to teach me. So give me more instruction. And I was asked if I would be interested in working there full time and studying in this as a field. And I wasn't sure about it at first. I was interested. And the minute I had that offered to me, the stuff I was studying in school actually became uh, lost its luster to me. And I, I did complete my associate's degree and everything, but I actually had a counselor convince me to pursue this as a, as a field because they recognized that I enjoyed it and I had, I had developed a passion for it. And although my grades in school and all that was turning out lovely, uh, I could always come back to school and this was something that I could pursue without having to take out large amounts of debt to yeah. continue with it. Yeah. And so I was convinced to, to go with it, and I did. And I'll say that learning more while at the shop didn't go super well, not the way I was hoping it would. Uh, the person that was hired to do repair work and was uh, a luthier in the theater and was asked to train me wasn't super interested in doing that. I don't think they thought very much of me, I was this young person. I didn't come from a family of this like they did. I wasn't this fantastic musician. I played viola and I was okay at it, but you know, I could have practiced more. And so all of that. And I was I was this um, person who was going to school originally for something else and got into this. And so I think they viewed it a bit like a lost cause to teach me things. And unfortunately, due to some issues with... Uh, The fact that they were part-time and I was full-time and I was being given work to do while they weren't at the shop um, that they did not want me doing, but I was being instructed to do. this caused some trouble between both of us uh, that led to essentially uh, they would not teach me anything. Okay. And I went through a period of time of not learning. The only way I was learning was by trying to look things up and uh, experimenting a little bit. And this was all on rental fleet instruments uh, at the shop. The people um, managing it were happy with what I was doing, was fine with it. And so wasn't client work, wasn't anything historical. So we're okay. Um, So later on, another person was hired And they were hired as full-time and they and I, we became actually really good friends and worked a lot together. I asked them questions and they were very happy to instruct. Um, And I ended up learning a lot from this person and it was going pretty well for a period of time. I was learning a lot. It was, I was, it was good. Um, But things at the job itself weren't that good. I was, there was some overcommitment to work that the business had taken on. And I ended up doing at times 14 hour days, several days a week, the longest period of time that I worked without a day off, I think was about 21 days, um, doing approximately these hours and what ended up Let me guess, um, summer hmm. hours? Uh, it was summer hours, but
2: it was yeah. Uh, yeah. And this all the all of your story. I apologize for interrupting. All of your story just sounds so familiar. When um, a small shop is just trying to handle the work, and there's not clear communication about expectations for who is accountable for what, and uh, it sounds like you got caught in the middle of that.
3: Yeah, and so and due to overcommitment of work by the business. Uh, there was a lot of pressure coming down from members of management where I was being told that if the work wasn't done by the end of summer, that the business could get sued, that we could lose our jobs. And so there was a lot of pressure to get this work done by then. And what ended up happening was by the end of summer, I had developed pain in both of my wrists and part of my hands and. Uh, it started continuing up my uh, right arm into my elbow. Yeah. And you're,
2: you're still in your first year. So you probably haven't heard the lessons about how you take care of your body in this field.
3: No, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't at all. And yeah. it's this was my first full time job. I worked jobs in high school, I had other uh, jobs I had done for people, but this was my first like W 2 full-time job I was doing. So I didn't know what was okay behavior and what wasn't okay behavior, Mm -hmm. um, by colleagues and management and everything. And so, uh, summer ended, I was moved into a different building, uh, with my colleague and it was just them and I in that building, uh, the rest of it was on the other side. Uh, so we had two buildings going on and I, for the most part, just worked one-on-one with this person and continued learning, which was nice. Uh, And then the pandemic hit. Uh Uh, So that was, that was something and things shut down, but I was still going and taking homework. I was working less because of all that. Um, But things reopened, went back in um, during that year still. And, was still having problems i was still dealing with pain Mm -hmm. and because of the stress of everything and the pain i was dealing with i had actually been falling into a depression Mm -hmm. and during uh the months of the pandemic i started to develop uh like chest pain and what felt like difficulty breathing in so And, and at what age was this uh
2: Twenty-four? Twenty-four years old with chest pain. Oh, I
3: might have been twenty-three. Okay. Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And so that was that wasn't great. And there were issues I was having where I didn't feel like I was being acknowledged in the same way that some of my other colleagues were. Um, and essentially this is when the fallout happened is what I refer to it as uh, in my head, but this is where I had a meeting with members of management, and when I, in when I had asked why I wasn't included on a work venture, um, I was instructed that the reason for it was because as a young female, it would be inappropriate for me to me to be traveling with. male co-workers um
0: because it's the 19th century
3: yeah um and when i pushed that issue of if this was really a problem could have ridden separate cars whole totally different hotel rooms um Mm -hmm. like hotels totally different hotels um but it was kind of doubled down as it would be inappropriate and So that was, that had a very big impact on me. Um, and the other thing that I had learned before the fallout and was brought up during it was the fact that I was, there was actually a large pay divide and I was making $9 an hour less than my colleague who um, was no longer with the shop and whose work I had been doing. Okay, And the reason cited for that was I was told um, in my experience that I was, Underexperienced for the role and that that was the reason I didn't have enough education um, my frustration with that was the fact that when I took on the role I was told that I would receive education and mm-hmm. uh, it took a lot of pushing to receive education because the person that was at the shop wasn't super interested in working with me um, most of the way that we learn is through summer workshops and so the first summer workshop is coming around and I go hey Uh, are we doing this? Where am I going? And I'm told, Oh, we forgot. Uh, and you know, signups are early in the year and it's probably too late. So you're not going. It's like, okay. Um, next year comes around. I'm like, all right, where am I going? What are we doing? Um, oh, we forgot to put money aside for it. So you also aren't going this year. So, okay. Next year comes around and I start asking in January. I'm -hmm. like, all right, where am I going? (laughs) here's this course at this place at UNH uh, that costs this much. When am I going? Uh-huh. Um, and so I finally end up getting to go then. Um, but the big frustration of mine of being cited as not having enough education, even though I'm doing the same work, was very frustrating Yeah, in the circumstances. And the being told that the reason – cited for not being included on a work venture um, was due to discomfort with my gender in relation to other colleagues uh, was also quite frustrating, because it wasn't something that I could change. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something I was doing wrong with work. It wasn't anything about work performance or a job I had done. It was solely on something that I couldn't change. And this Mm -hmm. was a frustration I don't think a lot of people really understood when I had this happen. because I had it brushed off quite a bit of, oh, you know, they probably didn't mean it like that. Um, you know, I think it was just a mistake. Uh, did they say, sorry, they're probably sorry. It's okay. It's fine now. Um, like it's fixed. Everything's fine. Um, and the thing I had was, well, it's not, I I have no way of knowing if it's going to get fixed. I Mm -hmm. believe it was probably going to get more overt instead of citing. That's the reason, Um, there's other ways to kind of hide that then. But I felt like I got more of an idea of how I was viewed in this company and that uh, I was viewed as the daughter of the child of the company because I started when I was so young. Family companies have that kind of family mentality. And unfortunately, those family mentalities aren't always very healthy. And when you start at a company when you're young, sometimes you end up in that box of oh you're the youngster and I think I ended up in that box, unfortunately. Okay. And so I very quickly learned at that point that everything just fell down for me. I look I realized that the effort I was putting in didn't really matter. It wasn't recognized and nothing I could do would really change that. And that I had no way of actually moving forward in this company. That it I was, I was stuck. I felt very stuck. And this is still during 2020. We're still in a pandemic. And this is your, th- this is your third wait third year there. Is that correct? Uh, no, or that fifth. was <laughs> five years. That Five was years in.
2: Year.
3: Yeah, and you're that still was- being thought of as the kid. Yeah. And okay. so, um, I didn't have experience with other shops. I didn't know where I was going to be able to go. I had it in my head that, yeah, no, I don't have enough education. Um, so why would another shop want to take me? Um, Cause I didn't have that in paperwork. It's, it um, yeah, so why would another shop want to take me? If I went to another shop, it would require moving states to probably yes. do it or really at minimum moving out of the area. And I had responsibilities here um, for family that I needed to take care of. And so that wasn't something I could just easily get up and move. And so I felt very stuck and I felt trapped in the situation. I felt isolated and uh, I did fall deeper into that depression because of that, um, because I was with the trapped feeling mixed with the physical pain of arms and wrists and uh, the chest pain I had been dealing with that hadn't subsided at that point um, I was not doing well. Yeah. Uh, I was still showing up. I was still completing my work. Uh, but I was not doing well and was in a very dark place.
2: I do want to interject that often our shops by nature of being so small, we do not offer insurance. Was that also the case with you? Health insurance? You know,
3: I, I actually did have health insurance, but, uh, because of the pandemic, the system was really overwhelmed for mental health resources. And so I was trying to seek resources of help, but uh, appointments for therapy and counseling would be anywhere from four weeks between each other to, I think the longest I had was five months between each appointment. And so... And then on top of that, even if you want to talk to a psychiatrist and work through options of medication, that was also difficult. And you're going through and you're trying medication during this time, and that either goes well or not so well, and there's complications with it. And so pile that all on top of the fact that it's very difficult to receive uh, medical support because the system was so overwhelmed. Um, It wasn't going that well for me. Sure. Uh, and so, yeah, I was in a bad place and that fallout happened in around August of 2020 for me. And a few months later I saw an ad on Facebook, actually, I think the VSA had shared it about a Zoom meeting happening, uh, like a women in 3 Zoom meeting gathering. Um, and that was in early January, I think. Yeah, the organization that Jim and Kim started. Yes, go ahead. And so uh, at that point in time for me, I have met maybe three or four luthiers, uh, and I have not met any other women in the field either. And so I went to the meeting. Uh, I sat in on it. Uh, talked a little bit because we all did introductions, but I see all these people signing on to the call and it became a really big Zoom call. Uh and it's names that like I know and I recognize from people I've seen on Instagram, uh, or people mm-hmm. I've heard about through others. Um, and it was really exciting. And I also was terrified of these people. Um, because I haven't had <laughs> the best experiences so far in the field. And so, um, But it was really exciting. And I kept going back to the meetings every single week when it was happening. And I started to get to know people and they started asking me questions as well. And what I ended up doing was I actually reached out to one of the founders of Women in Luthery to request insight on my situation. Because I was trying to figure out, since this was my first time, as a full-time employee somewhere, and I didn't know the field super well, was I creating issues out of nothing and like making mountains out of Mo- molehills? Um, because I was being kind of told that I have a pissy attitude and that I was stirring up trouble. So and you're so- being told
2: to suck it up. And so you're reaching out to ask, is yeah. that what I really need to do is or do I'll just need to suck it up?
3: absolutely it was I was reaching out because I was trying to figure out if I was uh just the problem in this and if I needed to if I needed to work on how something I did um in order to make the situation better and I was told that you know this isn't super uncommon in the field unfortunately but no it's not a good thing and it's not healthy Mm -hmm. and was after several months of like being in these meetings and calls and joining the Facebook group, I was asked if I could, I was asked if I was interested in applying for a fellowship that they were putting on that year. Uh, And that ended up being the uh, Women in Lutheran International Fellowship. And it still happens now. Um, It's like a yearly thing that they do. And I was asked if I wanted to apply for it. And I did. And I sent in the required material for it. And I was accepted. And when I was accepted, I was given uh, like a primary mentor and a secondary mentor. And my primary mentor uh, was Stacy Stiles with a focus on repair and restoration, and my secondary was Paris Andrews on uh, new instrument making. Now I'm I'm
2: assuming that you knew who these people were. Stacy Stiles is well known as a excellent restorer in the United States. Paris is over in Florence, does beautiful making. Um, What were your thoughts? You're being paired with these people. How did that feel?
3: I saw that email late at night. I think I had just gotten home from doing karaoke with friends. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I saw that email maybe around 2 or 3 a.m. that had the lists of who we were all put with for the mentors And I had to stifle like a scream of excitement because I was just so pumped for this. (laughs) Um, And I had heard these people's names. I had followed them online uh, for quite some time. I had seen them in the meetings. Um, I've heard people speak of them with great admiration and some envy and I was very excited for the opportunity to work with these people. Again, I was still quite a timid person. Um, so I was probably a bit too timid and had a hard time asking for exactly what I needed.
0: If I can interject a question, because uh, mm-hmm. we kind of glanced over this a little bit, you went from having basically zero community to having this giant tribe. Yes. How was that? Like, was your mind blown? Cause I know like the first time I, I got out and I met people, my mind was like, like, boom, like the possibilities, these people, they're like me, you know, they've, if they've got things to tell me there's this support there. Was it, what was that like?
3: Yeah, it was like the world had just suddenly opened up and there was all these people and everyone was so open about sharing Repair information. I wasn't used to that from other people. Um, after like my first experience, and I was actually really excited in the workshop because I finally had something to contribute to these conversations happening between um, colleagues. Because there was a another luthier hired in as well, so uh, it wasn't just me and the one other full time person anymore. There was another person too, and. I finally had something to contribute, and I was so excited about it that I could share stuff. Yeah, and yeah, and so it was a it was a really good feeling of just yeah. having a sense of community. And there were other people that were sharing kind of similar things that had happened. Um. Uh, and so I did not feel as isolated anymore, which was nice. And
0: did that? You know, you you never. You don't really know what's going to help what's going on inside you. How are the chest pains at that point? Like, have they did that help?
3: So those stuck on pretty well for it was it was a solid nine months from when they started to when I actually went in for a doctor's appointment for it because I was telling myself, like, all of this has to be in my head. I'm conjuring these. This is a. This is just me, because uh, I am causing this problem. And uh, what it ended up being actually was uh, this this heart condition kind of thing called packs, um, which not super uncommon actually. A lot of people will have them a couple times uh, in the lifetime. Some people have them a lot more than others. Uh, but what it is is when the top part of your heart beats faster than the lower part of your heart, and you don't normally feel it. It's fine. It just goes by in life. Uh, when you do feel it, it's kind of that feeling of a fish flopping in your chest, um, is how I've heard it described. And that's kind of how I had it. Um, so I had chest pain, but a constant weird heart feeling, um, going on. And that sounds like the physical feeling of anxiety. It does. Yeah. And
0: so, it really does.
3: <laughs> um, as it turns out, Pax gets worse with anxiety. So that feeling... Yeah! Um, So all of the uh, stuff I was going through mentally had conjured itself into physical ailments. And so... And I'm still dealing with the arm pain. Still... That was still going on then.
0: Hey, to paraphrase Dumbledore, just because it's happening in your head doesn't make it any less real.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And so... (laughs) Um, yeah, what had ba- basically been Your happening? You're a wizard, Catherine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can conjure panic attacks. Uh, wonderful! <laughs> this is the worst power ever.
0: <laughs> i got that superpower too. That's a great team.
1: The
0: time I, I stopped you, you were talking about you had gotten paired up with Stacy Styles and Paris Andrew. What happened next? You read this email. You were super excited. You screamed in the middle of the night.
3: Uh, so I got into work the next morning and I was so excited to tell the person I had been learning from, uh, like my colleague, uh, that i had become friends with. I was so excited to tell them and I did. And I was pumped about it. I told my other colleague and I got the response of like, oh, that's amazing. I'm so jealous. And that unfortunately became more of a thing later on. That's a very honest admission at that
2: point. Um, It just reminds me, there's all all of our emotions stem from two places, love and fear. And it sounds like you keep running into fear responses over and over again. And, And you're learning a different path at this moment.
3: Yeah. And so over the course of this fellowship, as I get to work with Stacy and I ended up. Uh, Stacy and I were doing Zoom calls. Um, I worked on a base bar with her because I hadn't learned base bars at that point. Really wanted to. I was supposed to do that during the summer workshop I was going to in 2020, which didn't happen because pandemic, uh, and everything got shut down. But so I did base bar with bar, base bars with her. Uh, we had a couple other things that we wanted to try to get to, but it was only if we could get to it. And with Paris, I ended up actually going to Florence and working on an instrument I had started uh, in the States with her uh, and it's sitting in my workshop in my house actually I want to try to revarnish it one more time third time's the charm on that um, <laughs> but uh, it was a really good experience and going to Florence and getting to meet all these people as well um, it was a much more welcoming atmosphere than I was used to and When I got back is actually when things started to really go downhill with uh, my colleague. And the jealousy really started to kind of show. uh, I didn't really understand what was happening at first. I just started to deal with this person snapping at me more and uh, more hostility from them or them looking really irritated with me more. Uh, And this seemed to be coming out of kind of a little bit nowhere for me. And uh, I tried to communicate with them to figure out what was going on and was informed that I had negatively, I was a negative impact on their work and personal life. And so, and that kind of came out of the blue for me and I tried to figure out what I could do to fix that because this was my friend, I cared about them. I wanted to try to resolve this, um, but there wasn't anything I was told to do differently. And they told me they still wanted to be friends and still wanted to talk and all that. Um, And it was very confusing for me. And this relationship continued to deteriorate to the point where um, I was actually afraid to talk to them at work because of the the snapping at me and uh, the anger towards me. It's I was struggling to understand how this person that we would talk and joke with before uh, now looked at me with such hate and disdain in their eyes. And it took me a long time to figure out, and it was through talking with other people as well, that it was jealousy and resentment for uh, the opportunities I had. Um, Because when I started, I was still learning. I was having trouble receiving education. Suddenly I am making all these big connections and I'm talking to these people that maybe they've really wanted to know and meet. Um, And me sharing information or offering to introduce them to people I think made them mad because it wasn't them getting these opportunities. Um, It was me getting them. And they felt that I believe the reason why they felt that is because um, they, I wouldn't have gotten it if it wasn't for them. And so they were the ones that deserved it instead.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. And there was nothing I could have done to fix that. Uh, And I did. try.
0: That's not your problem. That's their problem.
3: Yeah. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that?
0: That's not your problem. That's their problem. You know, jealousy isn't your fault. It's their fault for feeling that way.
3: Yeah. And it's it's a personal issue that, unfortunately, I just became a really good scapegoat for. Um, Sure. Because things weren't working out well for them, uh, I was a really good person to put all the blame of that on. Yeah. And I wasn't having this issue with any anyone else in my life at that time because um, I was I, I was asking friends and other colleagues I'm like Ev, have I am I doing something wrong I, or what's going on here um, and I wasn't having this issue with anyone else yeah and so uh, I did try to resolve things a couple times before I left um, tell but, me about this choice to move on yeah so This was something where after I had that fallout and when I started doing the Women in Lou 3 talks with other people and getting to know them more, uh, a story that I came across that I resonated with really well was that one person had realized after a dispute with management that this wasn't for them and they were going to leave but they were going to get themselves prepared first. And they took three years saving up money, buying tools, getting their workshop ready before they left. And I heard that and I was like, that is a really good idea. And that's the route I started to take. And so during this whole period um, that this is going on, since probably around maybe February, I started collecting my own tools and saving very heavily and getting ready to have my own workshop established um, in case I needed to leave or was involuntarily um, told to exit the company. And so what caused me to really leave earlier 'Cause in my head I'm like, I could do three years. I could, I could maybe handle that for three years. Is around November of twenty twenty one, someone had mentioned something to me about, oh yeah, like, you know, we're only X amount of months from rental season. <laughs> and my What brain did your just heart not, do? What did your heart <laughs> do? The chest pain started again. But um <laughs> I I just was sitting I was thinking, I'm like, I can't do this again, not in this atmosphere, not in this environment. Uh, I'm not learning anything here anymore because the person uh, I work with full time won't speak to me. Uh, And when they do, it's short sentences and with irritation. And I realize like, there's nothing left here for me. The only thing I can maybe get is a summer workshop and all of this work and effort was not worth one week of enjoyment out of the year. And so in November is when I realized I need to leave because I was sitting and I was thinking about everything and kind of came to the conclusion. Uh, cause again, quite honestly, I'm still in a really bad place mentally during all this. Um, And for full transparency, because I I do think we should talk about mental health issues more to destigmatize them, is uh, I was depressed enough that uh, I really should have been, I really should have gone to a hospital because I do think at times I uh, was a threat to myself and nothing ever happened. I was fine uh, or ended up fine. But um, in those moments, I did not feel safe. And I was not okay. And so. Catherine,
2: I'm so glad that you came out on the other side of that. I'm so glad you're here. Me too.
0: Me too. Really glad you're here.
3: Me too. And it's looking back at thoughts and feelings I had during that time when I was doing so unwell is really interesting because I don't resonate with that feeling anymore. And so I'm in a much better place now. But in that time where I was feeling stuck and everything was unwell... Uh, these were the thoughts and feelings I was experiencing. Uh, yeah. My situation was bad. I was still in a lot of uh, like physical pain going on as well that I couldn't get rid of. And I was really trying to get rid of it. Uh, and I was trying to receive uh, assistance through uh, uh, mental health professionals and healthcare, And it was not going well. And it wasn't getting better for me. And so... Uh, I needed to make a big change. And that change was my situation that I was in. Yes. And when I was thinking about the long terms and I was thinking about the upcoming rental season and everything else um, in my head, I was like, okay, this wasn't, this was an actual thought process I had at one point, which was five years from now, am I around three years from now, two years, I started going through and trying to figure out if I stuck in the same situation I was in, if I didn't, try to make changes to improve everything, uh, what my life was going to be like. And it wasn't looking good for me. And so I made that choice to find other resources. And what came to mind was Stacy, because I know that she had been working on the upper part of her workshop in order to potentially teach someone at some point. And I had visited her actually uh, earlier that month. Um, I'd gone up for a couple days to visit a friend up in Massachusetts, and drove over to Stacy's house and brought some instruments with some of my work to talk to her about. And um, Elie on the LeBlanc actually was there too. We all had lunch together It was lovely. And uh, I showed her the bass bar that I had. I had fit and I had worked on and I hadn't cut it down yet. I was hoping when I was up there, we talked about, maybe I could finish the base bar with her. And uh, she remarked to me a couple times that that was fit much better than she expected it to be. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah. And Mm. so, uh, and she was quite, happy and impressed with it, uh, which made me feel quite good about it. Cause I was nervous. Um, and I ended up phoning her up in early December after coming up with this plan. And my plan was, I have this money saved. I have these tools. I have never once in my life gotten to just focus on education and not worked at the same time. I am living at home during this time. Cause I was helping with uh, like family needs. And this was probably the only opportunity I was going to get the chance to do this. Like the last time I was going to get the chance to do this, to focus on education um, while not having to work. And I phoned up Stacy and I proposed this idea of like, what if I had a primary mentor and I went and worked with them uh, like every month every couple weeks, um, whatever they were comfortable with. And on top of that, what if I found other teachers and I went and had select tasks and, uh, repairs that I wanted to work on them with and was able to get them to commit to it. And I could go and work with them. And she told me, she was like, you know, that is a really good idea. And if you can do it, I think you should. And I said, wonderful. On top of that, uh, are you looking for a student? Because I am now looking for a teacher. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, She thought about it and uh, seemed interested, but wanted to think about it more. And what we did was I was instructed to come up with some more things about it of what I was looking for in this, uh, what I wanted to get out of it. She was going to go through and think of some things about what she wanted, what she felt comfortable with. We were going to come back and discuss those items, but also boundaries, um, which I think is a very important thing. And it's something that um, I wish I had more of back when I was working with these people um, uh, in my previous uh, employments. And I think it could have helped in some situations. I don't think it would have helped in others, but... Uh, communication was a big thing with all of the people I looked for because I needed people that were going to be honest and upfront with me. If something upset them or if I did something and they didn't, they weren't thrilled with it, I wanted them to tell me. I wanted to know. And I wanted to feel comfortable enough that I could tell them if I had an issue. I believe you
2: shared with me one of the things you said to Stacy was, if at any point this isn't working, you let me know, I can go home.
3: Yeah, it's something where in a lot of these cases, and Stacy included, I ended up staying at these people's houses with them. Um, now, for a lot of these people up to this point, they've known me online, we've talked some bits, um, but they don't know me, know me, and I'm entering their house, their homes, uh, their safe spaces, and I am living in it. Yeah. Uh, and I had proposed... Uh, If this isn't something you're comfortable with, I can find outside housing um, if you would prefer that. Um, If it's something where if I'm up there and this isn't working out and you are not happy with the arrangement, you can tell me to leave at any point and we can exit this. And there is no hard feelings on either side. Um, Certainly not for me. And I appreciate the opportunity. So I think this would be a good time to just run
2: the list of people whose houses you ended up in? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, let's this, do it. This is a big list. Okay, so Stacy. All right, so there was Stacey. Uh, there was MJ Kwan. Uh-huh. There was G Kim. I wasn't in it, I did visit her house, but I was mostly in her workshop. Um, I visited Elion LeBlanc at one point um, for just a brief day. There was Sarah Peck. I worked with for several days Joshua Henry. And then you went overseas. <laughs> and then I went overseas. I think that's all the I think that's all the in-state people. And then I went overseas. And then it was um, I ended up getting to work with Iris Carr for a week, which was quite fortunate. Um I had uh, it was Sarah Peck actually that when I reached out to her asking, "Hey, can I come and work with you for a bit?" She was like, "You know who you should email? You should email Iris. If you're gonna maybe go to Europe, you should email Iris." And I was like, "Okay." And I tried it, and it and and she uh, she was like, "Oh, I recognize you from Women Lutheran Instagram." Yeah, I have some availability during this time. Would this work for you? Um, and this was before she she is so she's when I, by the time I got up there, she was super booked up. Um, and so I came out of, at a wonderful time to email her, email her, um, from Ira's car, we went to the BVMA together. Um, and then from there I hitched a ride in a camper van over to Oxford, um, uh, with some other luthiers and got dropped off. And I ended up staying for several days with Benjamin Hebert, um, who I, spoke very very briefly with before i ended up going over there uh, and he also offered me a spare room which was quite kind because when i was looking at hotels in oxford it was very expensive and um uh jerry was fortunate enough to introduce me to him so thank you very much because
2: you, you uh you invited yourself over to jerry's house too
3: i did oh man <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry i missed you jerry yeah, i i'm a little hurt
0: <laughs> you know, i'm crying here and i don't know if we have time on this episode but i do think i need to tell the story of of you having dinner at my house because that that's classic and i think it needs to be told at some point
2: okay i agree okay yeah um um, sorry to to rush you along Uh, so we have a hit list of people that many of us who listen to omo are familiar with and you are one-to-one, hanging out with these people, learning how, comparing notes with Brit- Ben Hebert on how to fit bridge feet, etc. cetera. And if you could, if there is a way to summarize, tell me the difference in that exposure to theory versus this previous life that you knew.
3: It was much more open. All of these people were very confident and self assured and so jealousy and hostility isn't something i ended up encountering at all during this um there was no problems with the fact that i didn't go to a formal schooling for this um everyone was just so interested to share what they knew and were interested in knowing what i knew and it was a great time of collaboration and I'm very happy to still know and communicate with these people.
0: What advice do you have for somebody looking to approach somebody for either a mentorship or a brief visit to their workshop? What would you tell somebody who wanted to do something similar?
3: So I would recommend to not be as timid as I was when I first started. I had to be, I had to learn to be more assertive. And when I started reaching out, I, I actively tried to be more like, Hey, I would like to work with you. Would that be something you're comfortable with? Um, polite and everything, but not like, Hey, maybe if you are, if you're free in like a couple years, can I, can I come talk to you at some point? It was, it was more of be direct with what you want, as direct as you can be. As we're all learning, we there's stuff that we all don't know, um, and you don't know what you don't know, and so be direct as you can be, and approach it with humility. Understand that you're going to be told stuff and repair techniques that maybe you were taught a different way to do it. Be open to new ideas and new ways to do things, and bring them something. bring if you're visiting someone's shop, bring some sweets, bring uh, a, a alcoholic beverage should they be who, one who partakes uh, in the drink and pick people who you can communicate well with. Make sure that boundaries are put in place beforehand if boundaries are needed and. Boundaries are always going to be needed to a certain extent. Keep that in mind. Um, but make sure you know what your boundaries are and understand what their boundaries are. And that you feel comfortable communicating this, with this person. Yeah. I think those would be my big takeaways from all of it.
2: You have moved on to running your own business. You also are the mental health check-in person for Women in Luthiery. Your experience has become central to how you interact with the community, and it sounds like it's been transformative in your life. Can you share a little bit more about your place now, your perspective now?
3: Yeah, so um, I do help to run the mental health check-ins. We have those every couple months uh, in the Women in Luthery group, and those are all private conversations where everything talked about in them is kept private. I'm very open about sharing my experiences. This is the most open I've been about it. Uh, and so uh, it's a place that we try to keep people comfortable so that they can talk about this stuff in a safe area. Um, could you, could you ask that one more time? Cause I'm trying to think about yeah. to answer that.
2: Yeah. Well, I did leave, make it really, really big. Um, I, I, what I really want to get to is um, how you took a uncomfortable situation and you have risen above it. You didn't become a victim of your surroundings. Sure. It took some time. It took some time to get past that and to emerge into who you are now. But the person I see now is uh, has uh, transcended and has a lot of joy and thankfulness and openness and love and is ready to share and give to the community. That is what I see. So I I'd I'd love to see if you have anything to add on top of that.
0: It's also all right. If you don't have anything to add too, (laughs) we're always, we're always writing our own stories and we never know how they're going to go or how they're going to end. So Mm
3: -hmm.
0: it's totally fine to just answer with, I'm happy to be here and I'm doing Mm -hmm. the best I can.
3: Yeah, it's, I think, so there are situations that we're going to experience in life and some of us have or will experience in the field that are less than optimal or comfortable or ideal. And it's okay to step back and think about it a little bit before you act. And it's okay if it takes a little bit more time for you to get to that place. It took from uh, what I referred to as earlier as the fallout, uh, it took a year and a half before I exited that environment in order to pursue what I was hoping would be greener pastures. Um, And I went at it with the hope of this. Um, I didn't know what would happen. I just really hoped it would. And what I ended up learning from this is that um, meeting and connecting with other people in the field, they are kind if you and there is a chance that they will connect you with people that they know. People want to help other people when they can. And it's okay to let them do that. It's okay to connect with others and have them connect you and, it's okay to ask for help as well.
0: Catherine, thank you so very much for sharing that with us. I know it's not easy, is there's a lot of things about your story that resonate with myself. And there's a lot of things that I still can't talk about to this day. And so kudos to you for sharing and being willing to talk about it and for being part of Team OMO. We're really glad to have you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, and things have gotten significantly better for me in a lot of ways. And I'm in a, in a much better place. And I hope other people that might be in my situation will find that as well. Awesome.
0: And this is Dakota. Dakota.
2: Everybody, thank you for listening to that. i here with Jerry. What were some of your thoughts throughout this interview?
0: Man, that's heavy. Or It was, it was, it was heavy. It was heavy for me to listen to. I, I said a little bit at the end that, I see a lot of myself in Catherine, um, yeah. you know, wanting to wanting to find a place, dealing with an employment situation that's not so great, and uh, I think that's what that's what made me want to have her be part of Team Omo, because I think she comes from a place that is relatable. If it's relatable to me, it's relatable to a lot of people out there. And as we move forward as an organization, I can't wait to have her perspective touch things more than they already have, because it's one thing to come from, I'll say, the standard background, you know, the, the backgrounds you see in job advertisements. Yes, It's another thing to come from the school of hard knocks and deep cuts.
2: Yeah, I didn't bring up all three of us. We, we don't have those. Uh, things on her resume that include a school.
0: No, no, and th- that's only a fairly recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, for for a long time, if you wanted to be to 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 be in this trade, you didn't go to a school. That's a that's a 20th century thing. Yeah, and I'm immensely proud of Catherine for all that she's done, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for her.
2: Yeah, a lot of what was shared today is only recent information I've found out. I've hung out with Catherine several times. We roomed together in Oberlin, and all that I get from her is happiness and joy and watching mm-hmm. her do excellent work and to know that there was a struggle, a struggle to be a luthier.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I, I'm only just now learning that story. Uh, I couldn't help but think about in this interview... Uh, My employee, my dear employee, Robin Howe. Hi, Robin. Hi, Robin. Who is going to be uh, going to the Chicago school this uh, late spring. And I'm going to miss them so deeply. And I have watched, uh, well, I'll say that Catherine and Robin are similarly aged, if not the exact same age. And I have watched this person who I knew as a skateboarding kid in high school and then go off to college and then come back and work for me again. And I've seen this person in the last few years really, really grow in their knowledge to where I, I look over at them and this person, this person is selling really high quality instruments because they're a professional. This person is picking up information left and right because they went to learning trade secrets and now they went to the VSA. And I've had those Moments where I have had to say, "What is what is this feel?" I have jealousy sometimes, and so I recognize that honest emotion that Catherine's fellow coworker had. But what do you do in that moment? <laughs> like, like that's the time for me to re- reassess. No, I I have my own story, and I have good things to give, and it's a good thing that this individual is bringing this to my shop. What a gift. Yes. It's not a time to be scared. So uh, Robin, you're going to go on and do amazing, excellent things. And I'm so proud of you already.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. This, (laughs) this was a hard one for us to do because we can see our facial expressions. You guys can't. And, to see the genuine concern in all of our faces and to resonate with things that Catherine said, uh, this was tough and thank you for coming along for the journey. Yeah. And next episode. Yeah. Next episode is a retrospective of five years. We've done no this mobile.
2: five years. That's how long.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and we are, as a reminder, we, Take the month of January off because in December, we're going to enjoy ourselves. We're going to have some family time. And so we'll meet you guys in February, and we're going to do a five years in review. And uh, I, I think I'm going to go back and listen to some old episodes.
0: Yeah, me too. And
2: remind myself of who we used to be when we were little babies. <laughs>
0: we used to swear a whole lot more.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can throw in and right now. No, there's a a swear story coming up. We're going to cut to uh, right at the close of this episode,
3: so stay tuned. Okay, so when I went up to Florence in 2021, I was meeting Paris Andrews for the first time, and I went up to do the workshop. Before I went up, I tried to learn some Italian. And what did I use? I used the bird. I used Duolingo. And during that time, I, I just tried to learn enough. I'm not great with learning other languages. And so uh, I, ha- I had some trouble with it. And when I went over uh, across the pond and I went to spend some time with her, um, she took me to a couple different places. One of the places that she took me to was Cremona, Italy, and she took me down there and I got to meet some, uh, absolutely lovely luthiers and one that I really admire, uh, as well. And of course it was the one I really is where this happened and, uh, took me to, uh, her workshop and she was introducing me and she's like, oh, this is my partner. Uh, and this is, I'm just going to use a random Italian name. This is Francesco. Um, She's like, oh, Francesco. In, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, Francesco, Cremona, Italy. I want, and, and she says he's also a luthier. I wonder if this is the same one I follow on Instagram, the one that says the really cool thing with the cellos and the color. And how do I ask him that? Do I know him enough town, to ask him that? I don't know how to say colors or cello. I, just, I, I don't know how to do any of that in Italian. I don't know the proper translations. Um oh, he has a cat. I know how to ask if you have a cat. So let's rewind back to a couple days prior where I'm sitting around the table with um, lunch table with Paris and uh, some of her colleagues and uh, partner and everyone's chatting with each other. They're all chatting Italian and I'm sitting there listening, trying to pick up on words and phrases, things that I might recognize. And something I keep hearing is Cazzo. And my my ap- apologies for my Italian, uh, for those Italian speakers, uh, but I keep hearing the word cazzo. And I'm like, what is cazzo? And I chip into the conversation at one point. I'm like, hey, so I keep hearing a word and I know that gatto means cat. What is a catso? And uh, Paris looks at you Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, it's it's an insult or a crude term. It means dick or penis. Um, I asked poor Francesco if he had a penis, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and my god-awful broken Italian. I asked this poor man if he had a cazzo. And this, of course, is, this happens right as we're all saying goodbye to each other and about the leave, because I finally worked up the courage to do it. Um, and I went over to them, and I was like, Tu ha cazzo? And... Um, he looked at me confused, and other people looked at me confused, and Paris realized what was happening, because I mentioned this person before we went down, and she jumps in, and she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She's confused. She's trying to ask if you have a cat. And, uh, the poor man looks at me, and he goes, oh, no, I don't have a cat. (laughs) And this is when the second mistranslation comes into play, which is, I... Uh, tried to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm back up. But the problem is I constantly mixed up the word sorry when I was doing Duolingo. And apparently uh, the word I should have used was excuse, which I didn't learn from Duolingo. I learned when I asked uh, what I should have said. And uh, the word that I was supposed to use was spencente. The word that I said to him instead was scrivono, um, which basically means I write. And in the context I was asking him, it essentially sounded like I was asking him to write me. Um, so I, I asked this poor man, do you have a penis? Uh, and then <laughs> saying, write me, write me. Uh, <laughs> and so it's probably the most horrifying thing I've done uh, in a different language. But I'm still young. I could make it worse later on.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, there's still time. There's plenty of time. Uh, and I'm still, for the record, practicing Italian. Um, and, you know, at least I know how to say the word cat and uh, other words now, too. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you.
0: Omo is an all-luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Brandon Gottman, Jason Peoples, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples, music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out at mail at or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening.